This episode of the Mother Loving Future Show is brought to you by Amber Lestrange and Jenna Penrose with JMO 5000 Productions. Good morning, everyone, or afternoon, whatever time of the day it is in your part of the world. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Amber. Hi, Tutu. Hi, Tutu. <laughs> I am so excited to have the ultimate guest of honor on with us today, my mother-in-law slash soul sister from many past lives. I am obsessed with my mother-in-law, Tercy Engelhart. Thank you so much for Which coming means on angel with heart, us. doesn't it? Thank well, you. It does mean angel yeah. heart in German. Oh, living up to that. Yeah. I just love you so much. So we are having Tercy on with us today to explore our topic, healing through Christ consciousness. I'm going to give you a little intro to Tercy because she is quite the human. She is a grandma to 11. I'm going to start off with that because that is a pretty triumphant victory right there. Best grandma tutu that has ever walked the earth. She is also the original founder of Gracias Madre and Cafe Gratitude. If you live in LA, you will definitely know what I'm talking about. They're all organic, vegan, obviously plant-based restaurants. Not, not the ordinary restaurant. They're also, they have an undertone of self-development. Would that be the right way to say it? Mm, yeah, I would say uh, our primary goal is to support the transformation of people into being love. Yep, through Beautiful. kindness, generosity, gratitude. Okay, oh, so you go to so work and good. you get hit with a little bit of transformation. Exactly. But that's how this family likes to do it. I love it. <laughs> she is also the owner, um, co-owner with her beautiful husband, Manny, of Be Love Farm, which is a regenerative agriculture farm. Tutu is also a dairy farmer who makes the best raw organic cheese on earth, just decides to start making cheese and becomes the world's best cheese maker. And at Beloved Farm, they host events, weddings, they host guests, and it's just a little sanctuary. If you're ever in Sacramento, I suggest checking it out. Or go to Sacramento and check to it out. To check yeah. it out. <laughs> I exactly. did, and it was so worth it. Oh, That's my gosh. Beautiful. They it's even like have you've ever seen. a pet baby lamb called <laughs> Lucky. No, I've been following this story on Instagram. She's so cute. cute. Wait, Lucky needs her own Instagram. That needs she to happen. She almost has one. She took over mine. <laughs> <laughs> Great. She's pretty done too. She's really cute. And just to finish up the intro, Tercy has also been an entrepreneur for since you were born, I can imagine. But f- uh, how many endeavors have you taken on, do you think, as an entrepreneur? Now, let's see. I don't actually know, but... Let's say I had a little chuck wagon behind my tricycle. There's a good. There we go. Number one, first of many. Sold snacks. You sold snacks. That's so great. Of course you did. That's a true entrepreneur. Many endeavors, and most importantly, she is Jesus's first lady. He is her. Uh, he is your boyfriend, basically. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. So thank you so much for joining us today, mm, Thanks Tercy. for inviting me. Great. So Jenna, do you have a definition for healing through Christ consciousness for us? That I do. Yay. Jesus Christ is an excellent example of a human fully embodying divine love on earth. This is a state of consciousness we can all strive for, but few humans, if any, have fully attained yet. 
Christ consciousness is a spiritual practice of embodying divine love in all of your thoughts and actions, living as Jesus Christ lived, which is not necessarily the same as following the church. Um, Embodying this level of loving your neighbors as yourself is the same as the sacred heart in my mind. And calling in the spirit of Christ, who still actively serves humanity, can heal us on a profound spiritual level. Mm. Beautiful. Well said. Thank you. So Tutu, do -hmm. you want to give us your story about uh, who Jesus and who Christ is, God is in your life and how your relationship with him came to be? Um, Sure. So let's see here. So first of all, I was, I'm the youngest of three girls. I was born in 1950. So um, perhaps before those of you who are listening were even... Definitely before Instagram. (laughs) Definitely before Instagram. We've all heard of 1950. Yeah. Right. And so... you know, I was raised in a, my father was a military pilot. I was raised in a Protestant home. Uh, you know, military family moved a lot in my life. And so I had a foundation and, you know, what the foundation looked like, obviously, as a child was like little felt boards of, you know, Daniel in the lion's den and the parting of the Red Sea and, you know, biblical stories that some of us are familiar with. And, um, but I would say as a child, uh, the my favorite part of the Bible were the pictures, and pictures for me really spoke so much. And I was always really curious. Like I would look at the pictures in this Bible, and I would imagine myself there. And I was trying to, you know, just really experience what I was seeing on a personal level. And um, you know, I just, I loved the courage. I loved the love. I loved the compassion. I think that really spoke to me. And then I actually had a really interesting experience. So not that many people know this story, but, um, and you know, to a lot of audience, maybe it sounds strange, but we as, love strange. Probably not to <laughs> of course you audience, do. That's why honest. I'm saying it here. <laughs> of course you love strange. And so, um, you know, uh, that was really my upbringing was, you know, I was so proud of my Sunday school pen. You know, I got year bars for going to Sunday school, even though I get carsick. And when, t- when we lived in England, we had a really curvy road on the way to church and I got sick every Sunday on the way to church, Whoa. but I loved Sunday school. And so anyway, fast forward, um, I was a teenager and I was also a competitive swimmer. So I I was raised as an athlete. I'd been swimming before I walked. I knew how to swim. And I was raised as a competitive athlete. And um, when I was 16, I um, was molested by a family, you know, a physician. And how that all came about, you know, it's an interesting story, but how it all came about was... Um, you know, as a child, I was really taught not to say no to adults and to people in author- of authority figures. And that was really the times and it was respectful. And so what happened was, you know, as a competitive swimmer, swimmer, I just hadn't started my period. And back then, you know, in the 60s, mid 60s, there wasn't a lot of education and conversation about extreme sports interfering with you know, a woman's cycle. There just wasn't a lot of that conversation. So of course my mother was concerned because she really wanted me to just grow up, get married, have children, which is really what I wanted as well. And so, um, 
you know, my mom took me to the doctor because she felt like something must be wrong with me. And, you know, the doctor just casually made a statement. And I, you know, and, and let me just share with you, in hindsight, I totally understand this. However you might hear this, I'll wrap this up at the end. But he just made a casual statement that said, you know, she's probably pregnant. And of course, that planted a seed in my parents' mind. And my parents you know, they, they just began to believe him. He was a professional, he was an adult. And so for me, what I experienced was feeling betrayed. Like, how could my parents possibly believe that? How could they not know who I am? How could they think that I didn't even have a boyfriend? I wasn't even really interested in boys. So for me, it began this kind of eroding away of, you know, my, um, my trust really of other people. And so then, however it happened, they did a, you know, they did, took a, a urine sample and it came back positive. What? So, you know, it was just a combination of events that then began to kind of plant the seed of that I wasn't telling the truth and that I really was. And so, you Wait know, a second, you are, are you insinuating been- that the doctor st- lied and said it came back positive? No, the urine test came back positive. How's that possible? Well, it's possible because lots of reasons, right? False One, positive. it's positive. It's, it's, yeah, it's a false positive. It's possible because there's an error in the sampling. It's possible because, you know, when you're a, you know, very athletic person, you know, the chemistry can be off. It's just possible. Yeah. And so, um, so meanwhile, I had to wait to go in and schedule and have a, you know, physical exam. And so my parents, you know, of course they didn't know what to do and they kept me home and kept me in my room um, and kept me out of school because, you know, there's lo- there's so many things I can imagine. There's so many things that go through their mind. It's like, they're feeling like, how could they not know what's going? I mean, I don't even know. How could they know what's not going on in my life? Um, how could this be? Embarrassment, humiliation. What do they say? There's so many elements so of it. stressful on that for you at that time. I can feel that just the stress. Yeah, it's just, you know, it, it it's, it's mostly, I would say, the part of it is that you deal with, I mean, it's actually the source of my strength as well, which is mm-hmm. how I wrap up the story. But for me, this is the, the part where I say most people don't know the story. For me, because I had an existing relationship with Jesus, I started to, I made up a story that helped me survive that. And so, you know, the story that I made up is I just felt like, wow, okay, my birth name's Marsha. That's a derivative of Mary. We've been talking about the second coming of Jesus forever. So maybe this is going to be another virgin birth. Maybe Immaculate conception. That is brilliant. And that's the world I lived in. But it allowed me to actually not, you know feel the betrayal, feel hatred, feel, it just allowed me to feel like, okay, great. God's going to use this for my good. So that's one of the ways that I would say, you know, Jesus intervened in my life was gave me an avenue to be able to process what was happening in a way that didn't have me turn bitter. Mm -hmm. And And as, and even strengthened your faith. Totally strengthened my faith. And also just to interject also, it's like you already knew you had that deep inner knowing that God was going to use you for something special. Totally. And that was just looked like what it looked like. However, what happened, of course, was then I went and had a physical exam and they discovered I wasn't pregnant. Now, for me, in some ways, that was disappointing 
because here I was like setting myself up for, okay, great. I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of the second coming of Christ. Which right? can still be the case. Yeah. So all of a sudden that's taken <laughs> away. And then, you know, uh, nobody apologized. So nobody actually said, wow, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We didn't believe you. It was, let's get back to normal. You know, let's just get back to normal. Let's get you back to school. Let's, you know, get you back to normal. Let's go on with life. And so in, again, in hindsight, what I see is I learned from that, the value of really being in another person's world and apologizing for the impact of what we might say or not say Mm. or do or not do. Creates closure. Because people are actually impacted by those choices that we make. So that was a super valuable lesson for me. However, it also set me up for what happened next because, um, you know, then I, my swim coach was encouraging me to lose weight. You know, we were, we were getting ready to audition for the Olympic, you know, to the Olympic committee to try to sanction synchronized swimming as an Olympic sport. So we were competing with San Francisco. And so, you know, there was a lot of pressure and my coach wanted us all to look the same. And there is a thought that people look more synchronized when you're all the same size. And so there was pressure for me to lose weight. Now, again, in hindsight, what I realized is I didn't really have any weight to lose. Um, You know, I was all muscle and yet, um, you know, I also was raised in, you know, pleasing people, listening to my coach, doing what my coach wanted. You know, I was really a good girl. I tried you were 15 hard. At this point? I was 16, 16. Yeah, 15 and a half, 16. And so I tried to lose weight, but I just couldn't. And so, you know, then when I'd show up at the pool and the coach would weigh us and we were weighed, you know, publicly. Harsh. But here's the thing, it still happens today, you know? And so you, I show up at the pool and the the coach weighs us and says, you're not trying. (gasps) And that for me was, you know, just not who I am. I'm not a person who doesn't try. Mm. And so I think that was probably, I think that was probably the first time I actually had the experience of feeling what today I would identify as hatred. Mm. And so I just tried harder and I, I would swim and I would work out. And I, so I quit eating because I just couldn't lose weight. So I just quit eating. At the time I was living away from home and I was living with another swimming family. So I was in the environment where it was possible to do that because nobody was really taking care of me or paying attention to Mm -hmm. me. So I just quit quit eating. And then of course, you know, today we know a lot more now about anorexia, but I started, I finally started to lose weight and I began to lose weight and the coach would weigh us. And I can still remember the day where I actually hit the target weight she had given me. And then she said, you're actually too thin gain. Oh my gosh. And, And again, you know, it, 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 the experience was like, wow, I just, I can never please people. I can never oh. get it right. So all of these were like instrumental lessons that I was learning at a fairly young age. And then, um, uh, I, of course, I, you know, by that time I, I was anorexic and I couldn't start 
eating. It wasn't like that easy. I couldn't start eating because now we know a lot more about it and you just kind of throw it off your metabolism. Your control yeah, there's, there's so many aspects of it. But at the time, there was no awareness of that. While I think there was some awareness of anorexia in the 60s, it wasn't public. People weren't talking about it. Eating disorders weren't. And so for me, again, I'm just in my own mind trying to manage this, trying to figure out like what this is all about. And, you know, I, I actually enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed being thin. You start to get distorted body image. I couldn't see what other people were seeing. Anyway, at, at, at that point, you know, I kept on losing weight. My mother was concerned again, you know, that something was off with my uh, reproductive system. I mean, all of those aspects of it. So I ended up going back to the same doc. I actually ended up going back to the same doctor and I was ended up being hospitalized and, you know, on a, uh, and, and that was really where I had, I'd say the beginning of really this kind of spiritual awakening where I felt like who I know as what, you know, Christ consciousness or who I know as Jesus was really right there with me all the way. And, you know, I, you know, what my hospitalization looked like again, um, you know, my mom wanted me to just gain weight. And I, I can relate today if I had had this, if I had this experience with a child or with a grandchild. And so my mom was bringing me foods that she knew at times in my life I had liked. And those foods today we would consider junk foods. We would say Mountain Dew and cheese, cheese curls weren't great food, right? But at the time, you just want to give a child something that they love so they'll eat something because remember, I just wasn't eating. And so I had lost an extreme amount of weight and I was hospitalized. And then, um, you know, I had, I had this, you know, this voice that I recognized as, you know, Jesus and, uh, it said, you know, cause I really, I really got to this place where I just didn't want to live any longer. You know, my experience was, I can't do this. I was in the middle of a hospital that was filled with Vietnam vets coming back from the Vietnam War. And, you know, my problem, like, how could my problem, my problem seems so small in comparison to the issues that, you know, the soldiers around me were dealing with. I mean, there were so many, and there wasn't a lot of psychological support for mm. where I was. And so, um, you know, I just, I, I was trying to learn to, um, you know, I just wanted to get out of the hospital was how I felt, but it was just, I couldn't get out of the hospital until I gained weight. I couldn't get out of the hospital until my vital signs were healthier. And so this one night, you know, Jesus came to me and just said, listen, I need you to, I need you to stay. I need you to go back. I need you to do that to help others. As a voice he came to you. Yeah. And so I, you know, now I look back at that and the truth is nothing else would have worked because I couldn't have done it for myself. And I was upset with my parents. You know, I, had, I was struggling with dealing with the, what experienced as like a loss of connection with my parents. And so the idea of helping other people who could potentially struggle with a similar thing motivated me. How do you know that in that moment where you heard that voice, it wasn't your own voice talking? Because I had, I think because, you know, it sounds different. It's not the same. It resonates different. There is, you know, I was trying to talk myself into anything and everything, mm. but I wasn't, it wasn't about, um, I don't think I ever could have said to myself, go back for others. I just, at that time I was shutting down. I didn't really have my attention on anyone else. It was, it, it was, so, I was so self-focused because it was, you know, 
my body physically was even at a place of survival. I think I weighed like 87 pounds. So I was very, very thin. I'm, I was, I'm five foot nine. And so there was something about how it resonates. It, it's still that way for me today too. There's a truth that, um, I hear and it's never something I've previously thought. And it's also never something I'm actually up for doing. <laughs> it's not like, I'm actually, that. it's, that's it, how you know it's not your voice. You're yeah, like, that's the I, last I actually, thing I want to do right yeah, now. <laughs> exactly. That's almost, it lands a bit like no way. Mm-hmm. And that's the battle I think that I've had in my lifetime is I actually have learned to trust, um, you know, God or Jesus. I've learned to trust that even more then I would say, trust myself because I can get moved by moods or feelings or opinions or emote, you know, all that. I can get moved by that. Yeah. Humanity. But I can trust, um, you know, God, I can trust Jesus. I can trust that even if it doesn't make any sense to me, there's something that resonates about that guidance. That's so true. True. I can bank on it, even though it's not what I want. And I've, I've experienced that in so many different ways. This was just the initial training in this and really learning how to respond mm. to that. And so that began, you know, that began my journey. And all of a sudden I had, I had something to live for, even though it wasn't like I knew who the others are or, or I didn't, it wasn't even about that. It just sparked something in me that motivated me. And probably the very first place that I really learned that level of service to set aside myself for the possibility of making a difference in someone else's life. Mm-hmm. And see, I think I teach that today that I think that's a key distinction in leadership that a leader is somebody who's willing to take a risk. And that risk is really only on the possibility that you may be able to impact somebody else's life in a meaningful way. That's leadership. Mm. And so that, that, that pulled me out and it just started that journey for me. And, um, you know, that was, that was really the beginning. And then, you know, once I got out of the hospital, um, you know, I was still kept out of school. I was still really thin. I graduated out of high school with a tutor. It's funny because I just got invited to my 60th high, it's, it's like 60, is it 50, 50th high school reunion and I'm like, wow, am I good? Because I didn't, well, I graduated How did they from find school. you? Because you've changed because your name. Because Facebook. Oh, yeah. Because they're Facebook. You know, it's not like I hide the, the names. Yeah. You can yeah. always find people, class of 60, whatever. Great. So anyway, um, yeah, so that's really how I began that journey. Now, when I went back for for a checkup after being released from the hospital, that's where the abuse happened. Just and, one blow after the other. <laughs> and the abuse was really... <sighs> You know, again, um, you know, the physician said, is it okay if we don't call in a nurse? She's really busy. So again, see, the lessons are profound if you really listen to this, because the same thing that motivated me to like pull myself out of really dying, which was for the possibility of making a difference in somebody else's life. It's a really fine line to say, yeah, it's okay. Don't call the nurse in for the exam 
because she's too busy. So you can see that there's a similarity, but that's really a fine line. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of, it was set up really for the abuse to happen. And then, you know, the doctor of course had a setup because he says, well, your parents didn't believe you before. So why would they believe you now? So you can't really tell anyone. Well, remember though, it's so, yes, it is. It's like, if you're going to be a bright light in the world, you have to be ready to deal with the darkness is going to attempt to snuff you out. So true. The journey is recognizing that. The journey is knowing that. See, I I would say if if I were to say there was um, something I wished my parents had prepared me for is I don't think I was brought up with the awareness that we're all in the midst of a spiritual battle Mm 24-7, particularly people who are willing to to be bright, to be light. Mm-hmm. You know, if I look back, I can say the reason why I was a great candidate for abuse was because I was such a bright light. I was always, I was happy-go-lucky. I loved people. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. People wanted what I had. And people don't realize sometimes that the access to what you have is their own journey. I think they think they want to take it from you. Mm. And, you know, it's been a long journey. This is my 32nd year of recovery after 20 years of dealing with um, an eating disorder because, you know, the eating disorder didn't go away. It was the way the abuse manifested in my life. It was the way I survived, you know, and learned those lessons. So for the next 20 years, 16 years old to 36 years old, which is a bulk of your young life, I struggled with an eating disorder. I was an addict and I raised, you know, had all my three children, raised my three children, was married and divorced three times. So there were all kinds of struggles. But the beauty of all that is, is that, you know, Jesus never left my side. And even if I didn't experience him because I stepped away or, you know, I can look back now and see how every step of the way my life was guided to be where I am today. And I, I mean, Go figure, right? 20 years of an eating disorder, and I'm the founder of one of the largest healthy restaurants in the world. Mm. So look how that was used, you know, and how that was really a give back to be able to create an opportunity. I, every day I hear stories of people being victorious over their health through either something I've said, something I've shared, the, the restaurant itself, something I've written. I've learned to be transparent. I've learned to share what's going on in my life. I don't attempt to look like I've got it all together. I have it all figured out. Or, But I learned those along the way. Those were all the lessons. So, you know, I, I would say the, you know, how I recovered after 20 years, which I'd tried everything. I'd tried everything. I wasn't paying attention to God at that time. I, I was surviving. I was caught in survival. I wanted to get well, but I had no idea. It took me years before I even knew what I had. And then, you know, I heard the same voice in the shower that just said, tell the truth. So I was about to ask you, when you originally heard that voice, did was there a presence of God that stayed with you or did he then disappear and then come back to you when you really needed it. You know, my experience of God is that God's always there, but you either turn toward him or not. And I would say when I first heard that, it was a huge presence that guided me. And then even even through, I would say, the abuse and the immediate recovery, um, you know, the immediate time after that, I would say that's when I really kicked into survival. Mm -hmm. And I would say I wasn't paying attention then. And I didn't hear, I didn't hear the guidance. I was more, 
I had kicked back more into, I got to get through this. And did you discuss with anyone hearing that voice when you were in the hospital? No, no, never talked to anyone about that. Never talked to anyone about the abuse. So the abuse was really kept secret for 20 years. I mean, my name, when you talk about my name, I don't come from a culture where people change names, you know, because of my association with Cafe Gratitude, people think like, oh, I was a hippie because that kind of got labeled a hippie cafe in the early days, but I've never been a hippie. You know, I kind of come out of middle America, mainstream, a military family, athletic, you know, I wasn't, I've never been a hippie or, you know, even alternative. Um, That was something that became, I was exposed to really as a part of kind of discovering my way through recovery. So I would say, no, I, I was more I, survival. I would say I'd kicked into survival. And I'd, I'd had some people along the way, you know, that I had picked up and seen, like, how do, you, how do you survive anorexia? Well, obviously you don't survive anorexia. You die from anorexia because you starve to death. But then I became bulimic in order to compensate. So I rotated between anorexia and bulimia and in order to live and, and actually and he birth found three- you again in the shower. Yeah. So, you know, uh, 20 years later, my husband was overseas. I was really, again, at that same place. I could relate to the same place where I was in the hospital where I just felt like I was at the end of me. And I think that's what you have to get to. Three kids and you, three, three kids in. Three children, three marriages. My mm-hmm. husband's overseas. I'm back on the exact same base mm. where the abuse happened 20 years earlier. Wow. wow. And um, so right back in the same environment. And, um, I go upstairs and I take a, I actually, I came out of the bathroom after, after vomiting and my daughter, who was about seven at the time, my middle child says to me, mommy, are you okay? And I say, of course I'm okay. Why are you asking me? And there was just this flash of light, you know, just, it's like there was a crack in me where this light And I saw, oh my gosh, I'm doing to my daughter the exact same thing that was done to me. Mm. And I was like, this will not be. Mm. So again, the motivation was, I'm not going to pass this on. This isn't going to go another generation. I'm not going to do this to another person. And so I I remember being just like kind of shook to my core which is how, what, what I believe the experience of Christ consciousness is. And I went upstairs and took a shower. And in the shower, I heard the voice that said, tell the truth. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Always tell the truth. Mm. And I got out of the shower to answer the phone. And somebody asked me where something was that I was supposed to mail. I'm looking at it at the, on the desk, telling them it's in the mail. And I'm like, wow. And my experience of being convicted when God's the convictor of being convicted is there's always an opening. So conviction never leaves you feeling guilty or shamed. Conviction always leads you with the possibility of restoration. And so in that moment, I just got, that's it. That's it. Wow. After keeping a secret for 20 years. 20 years. And so that was telling And no one had any idea. No one had any idea. Now, I was also leading a huge organization at the time. I was an entrepreneur with a big company. And I remember that day I went out and I bought a Walkman. So I started doing things I never did. I bought a Walkman. I started jogging. I took all the furniture out of the house. Crazy, bizarre things. Almost impossible for people to understand. But I recognized I needed 
to kind of like clean the Reset. slate and start over. I needed to begin to discover like what was it that I loved? What was it that I wanted? What was it that I needed to start recreating that? So I stood in front of my organization and said, listen, you guys, I... I have to stop doing what I'm doing. I've got to start really taking care of myself. I need to get into recovery. I'm I'm following this guidance. And, you know, that was the beginning, my, you know, and I, I did. I followed that voice. I have continued to follow that voice. And for the first four years, it was about every year I got guidance. So it was like, tell the truth. The second one was, you know, face your fears, because what happens when you begin to tell the truth is fear surfaces because, you know, again, if you're looking at spiritual warfare, it's like the darkness doesn't want that light to shine. And when you begin to tell the truth and follow the truth, you begin to move into the light. Mm -hmm. And so fear is the darkness that comes in and attempts to usurp that brightness of Mm -hmm. the light. And so the second step was face your fears, which is you can feel your fear, but you just continue to tell the truth. And then the third one was stay in the moment because what takes, what would take me out, what tempted me to either not tell the truth or not face my fears was I would look too far ahead or I would begin to look behind at, you know, just the wreckage of my life Mm. over those previous years. And then just my fear of what might or might not happen moving forward. Mm. And I've worked with a lot of people and taught people these four steps because there's a lot of, um, unsuccessful recovery from eating disorders. It's not the easiest addiction to heal from because we don't really have cultural healing around food yet, Mm. you know, and that's a whole nother world, right? Obviously the industrial food complex. And then the last one was open up to love. So the last step is open up to love, which is like loving myself, loving others, and then building the trust to be able to be loved by others, like healing that betrayal and letting other people love me as well as loving other people. And at the same time, being able to know that fine line between love and manipulation, because they're kind of two sides of the so same coin. So these were five um, gifts four. from God, four. Yeah, four. And can you run them through, run us through them again? So the first one is tell the truth. So yeah. even today, let's just say 32 years later, anytime I feel like I'm off kilter, anytime I feel like I'm not really being true to who I'm called to be in life, who I was created to be. I go back to, is there any place in my life I'm not being truthful? I'm not telling the truth. Is there some place I'm either withholding, not saying anything or not speaking up, which is, you know, that for me, that is like one of my biggest challenges because it, in some ways it was just easier to be quiet, you know, to not confront Mm. people. So it's always that tell the truth and then face my fears, stay in the moment and then open up to love. And as long as I live my life by those four, which are all, you know, biblically sound principles, they're all things Jesus taught, you know, but that's it in just, you know, mainstream language, um, my life works. And I feel like I'm fulfilling all my calling. I'm, you know, my calling is people experiencing how loved they are. I, I believe I was born into that. I believe that's always been my calling. And it's a big calling. And so it's got big challenges. And during this time, were you um, were you in church? Were you going to church? No. So I actually, um, my family, uh, in like my high school days, my family kind of quit going to church. We had moved several times and hadn't found a church. And then I... 
I didn't go to church. I had such a mistrust. I actually stayed away from church for 50 years. So a long time. I always had a personal relationship with Jesus through that. And I always felt like I had a deep connection, but I wasn't really that public about it. I didn't share with other people. I don't think I was ready for, I don't think I was ready for it. You know, I hadn't been sent there. And then in the last six years, I heard this same voice say, it's time for you to find a church. Like instead of feeling like you're left out, instead of feeling like you don't belong, go find where you Mm -hmm. do belong. And really quite honestly, I thought I was going to go to a church and I was going to kind of hide in the midst of the congregation. And I wasn't going to be a leader in that environment. I was going to sit and belong and be contributed to. And the truth is that's not what happened. You know, I found the most amazing church. I I love my church and I've actually, um, I've actually taken on, you know, a, a small leadership role, but it's not like leadership inside of a church, um, you know, structure. It's more, uh, you know, you got to, my job is to go be a bright light and love people wherever I am. It just so happens now I have the opportunity to do that in a church setting as well. So I have church, family, I have yeah. business, I have church. It's I, not an ordinary church either. Well, it's it's an extremely <laughs> uh, modern take on on the Bible and Jesus. And it, for me, I've been with you and it's very easy to relate to because yeah. there are obviously very many different expressions of Jesus, God, Christianity. And a lot of people don't resonate with the idea of traditional church. Yep. And I love your point before where you said you had a personal relationship to Jesus yeah. and that's what got you through. And I think a lot of people associate you have to go to the church to know Jesus and that's where he lives. And what's your point on that, Jenna? I think that your testimony is great to show that the personal connection with Jesus is, in my opinion, more important and first and foremost before the church. Because the church has, and it sounds like you have a wonderful congregation, and um, of course, individual churches can be awesome. But I think there's also the potential for human error, in a sense, in church. And also, you have a lot of patriarchal tendencies in church, and um, some churches will even... um, not push you to that personal connection. It's it's more about just following the ritualistic rules of that church. So I think um, the personal connection is is far more powerful. Well, it's interesting, right? So I, I might have agreed with you. I mean, and there's elements. I mean, there's a lot of what you say I agree with. But what I've discovered is the there are a lot of churches now I mean, the church has made some big errors, and I think the yeah. church will say so. But remember, the church is us, right? Mm-hmm. The church is me. The church, and so what I've discovered is what happened in that church in the church through the time that I was away was extraordinary. And there are some amazing churches who focus, whose focus is on ushering in the presence of God, whose and- focus is on each and every person having a personal experience of Jesus, a personal experience of God. And that to me is what Jesus came for. Totally, totally. It's what he's about. Absolutely. You know, that is, I mean, and I found multiple of them now, because now I have the luxury of now when I travel, I get to go visit other churches. And I'm always looking for... you know, I'm always looking for that community that feels that we are the arms and the legs and, and the mouth and the heart of God at, in action here on earth. See, I That's believe true. in heaven on earth. Me and too. how do you get to heaven on earth? Us. Mm-hmm. And it's those lessons I learned along the way through all that. My addiction is like you serve, you serve love. I mean, it is the... 
it actually is the mission of our company, I know, which is really? love is served. And it's that's amazing. no small mission. No. And are we going to get attacked? We do. We are. I just, you know, <laughs> it's all the time <laughs> because there is an attempt. It's so funny because my Instagram post today was this picture of a flower on the cactus outside Amber's home where it only blooms at night and it only blooms like once or twice. And it's like, that's such a perfect example of our job is to actually be the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of that unconditional love in the darkness. And so it's amazing that I posted that this morning and then we're having this conversation. Now. You guys straight into spiritual warfare. That's, and that's where Christ consciousness comes in yes. for me. It's, 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 it's the people on earth today yeah. embodying the love and the consciousness yeah. of that love and that oneness and and really having that personal relationship with that and then like being a vessel of that love. Totally. And so that to me is where Christ consciousness comes yeah. in because it's like the more people that can embody this, the yeah. more we can have heaven on earth. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll give I'll give you some references that are just extraordinary that I've run into. I'm going to give you a book to read. <laughs> but um it's just like it's so amazing what what happens consider that is what we're here for you know i just got done leading a week of all employee meetings and it's we actually are here to become love and Agreed. becoming love is a process mm-hmm. not easy when you're human <laughs> and no because because there is a huge force that's attempting to stop love from taking up residence in you, right? Do you think that spiritual warfare is on earth because it's we're reflecting what's going on in the universe or where do you think, why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, that that we we all are a fallen people. I think there is, you know, there is a battle going on in, in other planes. There is a battle going on and we experience it here. And, you know, part of our job is to fight that battle here, knowing that, Love is victorious. Mm-hmm. Love yes. is, and that is, you know, when Jenna gave the introduction, that is for me what separates Jesus out from any other teachers is, you know, Jesus did defy death. And that's key. You know, he mm-hmm. did rise. He did. If there wasn't a resurrection, then Christianity would just be a fluke. It so, would just be meaningless. Yeah, I, I think that a, a lot of people I've spoken to who are non-believers, let's mm-hmm. say, but who do believe in the concepts that we're discussing, mm-hmm. that we should be here f- to represent yeah. love yeah. and light and that we are made from that and that's where we should be heading back to. I think I hear a common mistrust around the story that the Bible Mm. um, expresses Mm -hmm. and um, a suspicion about misinterpretation Mm -hmm. and Chinese whispers. And what do you, what would you say to people who um, believe in the principles uh, that spiritual principles that Mm -hmm. you're discussing, but have a problem um, connecting them with Jesus? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say get, I would say get to know Jesus. I, I would really say get to know Jesus, like ask, pray, meditate it on, let, because it's not going to be a mental thing. It's not going to be knowledge. It's mm-hmm. not going to be, it's going to be wisdom and wisdom comes really through God's word. So it's, so it's ask, ask for the guidance. You know, most people, even people who don't believe when they cry out in utter desperation, God Jesus will shows listen. up. Mm. God shows up. I can remember like the craziest things, you know, like 
I, I've got this warehouse full of things. I can't figure out how I'm going to move it. I can't. I feel like I'm going to suffocate and just like crying out. And all of a sudden, there's just these openings show up. Miracles. Which is yeah. Which is and I think miracles are around us all the time. We just as non-believers, we don't call them miracles. You we just say them. it's a coincidence or we don't see mm. it or we lucked out. I think it's so important for us to recognize that's God working in your life. Mm. And he works in miraculous ways. And you can't see the miraculous if you're focusing on, you know, like what's reasonable. You know, faith is unreasonable. <laughs> if it were reasonable, it'd be easy for us all to believe. Mm. It's not. And I think we have to move away from our minds and we have to do the work in our hearts. And so I would say to people like, hey, if you don't believe, pursue it. Mm. Ask Jesus, help me believe, help me see, help show me. That is what I had the luxury of having a personal experience of. It comes oftentimes through hardship. We have to get to the end of ourselves before Jesus can actually show himself to us. As long as it's, and that's the challenge, I suppose, of this me generation is we, we're so full of ourselves, we, there's no room for Jesus. So, I, well, when you're really desperate, there is. Exactly. I remember, <laughs> I, I really remember in times where I, I have prayed because I don't go to a church. My family was loosely Christian if we had to pick a religion, but I was never really taught that uh, having a personal relationship with Jesus Mm -hmm. is really what it's about. That's how you get to know Jesus and that's how he comes into your life. And I remember watching myself. I've had a handful of times in my life where I was seriously scared and really desperate. Mm -hmm. And I found myself praying. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I I now am constantly praying. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, you know, people can say you manifest things or which I also believe in. But I do believe that there is this higher power and there is a dialogue that you can have with that mm-hmm. energy and with that presence that is looking out for us and yep. looking after us. And I just thought it was hilarious that I used to only pray when I was totally desperate mm-hmm. and I would miracles would appear before my eyes. Mm-hmm absolute miracles. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing else that I could have thanked for that, but my dialogue with that powerful energy. Yep. Call it God. See, and I think that is how God shows up. You know, I've had so many conversations with people about how God, God meets you where you're at. And, and oftentimes, you know, my, my, obviously my hope for you, you're my, you know, my daughter for, for my children and for my grandchildren is that I can demonstrate love powerfully enough that, you know, those in my circle of influence, which are many really, but, you know, in my family and my circle of influence, that those are curious enough to discover that love for themselves. I can't give it to them. You can't, you, you can't make people, you know, faith is a journey. Faith is an experience. It's, it's an experiment. It's an experience. And it usually comes through just exactly what you're saying, Amber, is it's like, we have to get to the end of ourselves. You know, for those years when I tried to survive on my own, I look back and those years are the years that cost me the most. The years, even when I had hardship, but I was relying on Jesus, the cost of those years was minimal. And yet you know, Jesus will take whatever we give him 
and turn it into something beautiful and glorious beyond our wildest imaginations. So I actually want people to get confronted. I want people to get to the end of themselves because I want people to know a love that's so big and so broad and so all-inclusive that we we, we can't even fathom it, mm. you know? And so that that's my hope. I mean, yeah, that's what I want for people. I want people to experience how lovely and, they and are. And I can imagine that each person's experience of God, Jesus, Christ consciousness is unique for them. Yeah. I know that you experience Christ consciousness in dreams, yeah. in, in a voice, in a presence, in miracles, yeah. and it may look different for different people. Yeah. What, what would you say, because you talk about God and you talk about Jesus, who do you pray to and what is the difference between them? Well, see, I actually think that Jesus is a manifestation of God. I think Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are one. I believe yes. that. So he was a physical manifestation yeah, on a, earth. Yeah, he was Jesus set. was a real person yes. as well. Jesus walked the earth. It was a real person. There's lots of historical data for that. But Jesus, Jesus was who God sent, you know, the, one of the biggest things, and again, like this, it's, I'm certainly not a Bible scholar, but you know, one of the things that's so amazing to me is as I explore more and I read God's word more, one of the things that's most amazing to me is when you really get how much God loves us, you have to believe in a creation. You have to believe in a creator. When you get that God created us. And I think as we have children, as I watch my kids have kids and as we have children, how can you make sense out of that? That, right? That, that's why, just... that's what prevented me from having a relationship because the concept is so abstract Yeah, and it, it yeah. didn't make sense to me that he was this man in the sky that yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it and right. it didn't resonate yeah, with me it. as truth. So how could I relate to that? Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's what prevented me from ever I, really exploring a relationship yeah. with Jesus. Yeah. And see, that's what I think is so important is we actually have to look at whatever it is that stops us is usually the doorway to something. Because remember, the enemy's going to try, he's going to look for where's the, where's the opening in you that I can get in, that I can distract you from this love of your father, this love of the creator. And notice, even in our culture, I have this conversation, we have such a big father wound in our culture. And I think that inhibits a lot of people from exploring a love of a creator that, you know, we call a father that is a father. And I think we get so mm. caught up in the male and female thing. So you have to look at wherever your resistance is, there is an opening there and you have lean to into lean what you're into the discomfort. Mm. You have to lean into push what through. you're resisting and push through because there's something there because the enemy's going to get you where you're weak. That's fascinating. Right? That's actually a really incredible point. Jenna and I discuss that a lot. Trigger points, things yeah, that are really that you're resisting and that trigger you mm. on some deep level, maybe just sit with it and yep. think beyond that, think beyond the pressure you're feeling and think, is there anything that I have to, is there a breakthrough here for and me? What's on the other side of yes. that resistance? And that's a great place to pray. You know, that's a great place to pray. Like, help me see this. Help me discover. Help me explore this. What is this? And you'll always be shown and guided because remember, you know, God is here for each and every one. It's for all, all inclusive. And we all have our lessons to learn and we all have our weaknesses and we all have our failings, but we also all have our deep love and our beauty and our gifts and our talents. And those have been given to us to use in ways that will actually demonstrate this 
the, grandiose the creation love. and love of yes, God. Yes, the love that's so big we can't comprehend it. So let me ask you a personal question. I know Maddie, your husband, he, I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but you two both believe in God mm-hmm. and you both are avid scholars of spirituality mm-hmm. and completely dedicated to your spiritual path. But he is more in the... Um, how would you describe his faith? It's more Gnostic based, yeah, right? Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because it's been such a great journey. And and I have a, you know, my view has shifted over time, right? But when Matthew first began to pursue Gnosticism, you know, I got really clear guidance from my voice, like, that's not your path. And that was actually what sent me to find where I belong and brought me back to church. So you could say, wow, the beauty of that was God got a hold of me again and got me into an amazing environment where I could actually... Share go deeper more, with him. Go deeper and share. He drew me to him, right? And I, but I have come to learn through speaking to some amazing leaders, some amazing leaders who are, you know, followers of Jesus. Um, I've actually come to understand there's lots of pathways to Jesus, right? And so remember, God's calling us. God's got your name. He's calling you. There's no way you're going to be in an association. In my world, there's no way you're going to be in an association with me and your name's not going to get called. That's my job. Make sure your name gets called, that you get to hear the call of that. And so, you know, for Matthew, I'd say Matthew very much believes in Christ and Matthew very much believes in the word of God. And I would say he also has, but you know, you should really talk to him about it. I would also say he has a different interpretation of some of the scriptures than I do. But that's a great place to build relationship, right? Is to begin to explore that. Because it's not you or I that are going to make those clear. It's God that's going to make those clear. That's it. So my job is trusting God's working in my husband's life. So you're not threatened by the fact that you two are following different um, interpretations of God. No, because I know God's working it all out. God's working it all out. Yeah. Yeah. God's working. And so he's, I mean, I believe that all religions are worshiping the same God. They just, as we said, are interpreting him in different ways, really. And I think we have to be careful in making that statement because I think none of us really know what all religions, I mean, I certainly don't. I don't know what all religions teach. I just know I just know what I'm, what I'm learning, what I'm exposed to. And I trust God is actually calling all people. And that looks lots of ways. Some people come out of a horrific experience with, you know, a cult or some religious organization and they discover, you know, Jesus through that, or they discover God. So I can't speak like on behalf of all, but I do believe that God is, is available for everyone. everyone. Huh? Very much yeah. so. Very much. And there isn't anything, there isn't anything. I mean, when you really begin to read God's word, you realize God came for the fallen. Hmm. He came for those who were far from him to bring them home, to have them experience love, to have them know how loved they are, to guide them, to direct them. And I think that's still happening today. I don't think that's any different today than it was in you know, historical biblical times. And as you have become closer to God over the years, has your dialogue become more fluid and frequent with him? How does that look um, now, your dialogue Yeah, I would God? say I rely on, I mean, ever since really I, um, you know, ever since really, well, it's funny, right? Because life is oftentimes like surrender, take back, surrender, take back, you know? And, um, but yet I would say I'm, 
I'm much more easily, if I hear, when I hear from God, if I resist in the moment that I'm resisting, I already know I'm going to follow, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh. <laughs> come on, give, give me something he's told you to do where you're like, people are going to think I'm crazy. I can't oh, do this. Oh my gosh. There's so <laughs> much, but like, let's see, what was the latest? Like, did he tell you to go up to someone and say something and then oh, that led off, you somewhere? You've often, got to tell me a story. Often. Let's see. Let me think of like, <laughs> I mean, throughout my life, there have been so many, but let me think there's been some, re- I mean, okay, great. So, you know, um, uh, you know, one of the, one of the people who, you know, was the abusers in my life, his wife called me after many years, many, many years, 40 years or whatever. Right. She pursued me and found me and called me. And, you know, I, while I didn't want to talk to her, and I didn't even know why she called me. And she had a whole different story because she'd been listening to, you know, her husband. But it was so beautiful how God orchestrated that because God just kept telling me while I was on the phone wanting to hang up, God was like, keep listening, keep listening, keep listening. And what was so interesting is when I quit thinking about my personal experience, when I quit letting go of feeling like I needed to defend myself or something that happened like 40 years ago, well, I kept, all of a sudden I could hear the inconsistencies in her story. Huh. And so it was through listening that I actually saw the inconsistencies which created an opening. And after I, I every time she'd call, I'd see her number because I put her number in my call. I'd see her name and I didn't want to pick up. And every time Jesus just told me exactly what to do, exactly what to do. And finally he said, will you just let her know I love her? And I'm like, oh, this is... <laughs> You're like, oh, on. come How on. Long? You know people don't like and that. I, I remember saying to her, I, you know, I remember saying to her, listen, I just, I just want you to know, like, and you, and she had said to me already, when, uh, when she called me, she had said to me already, I just knew she'd obviously been following me, looking me up on Google, researching me, right? She just said to me, somehow I knew you would hear me. Okay. That was what she said. After Jesus has just told me, listen, listen, hmm. don't defend. Don't protect. Wow. And then when I finally said to her, you know, Jesus wants me to let you know that he loves you. I was just completely silent. I could hear her crying. Wow. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I just have to be willing to deliver it, deliver it. Mm. I, I'm not responsible for necessarily what she does with that, but I could tell in that moment. And then she asked me what I meet her. And I said, of course I'll meet you. So wow. it, 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 it's like, you just, you know, there isn't anything I'd rather do then follow the love of Jesus. And that love of Jesus will ask me, does ask me to do things that I have no interest in doing. <laughs> but I'm more committed yeah, that's to real. following the love of Jesus you trust than that more staying than anything. comfortable. Yeah. Beautiful. You are so incredible. I'm Aww. so blessed to have you in my life. I, I always tell you, it's the reason I, reason I married Carrie is to get close <laughs> to his mother. Oh, oh Carrie so has come in use, hasn't he? <laughs> Thank you so much, Tutu. Oh, so it's been welcome. so incredible having you share with us. It's yeah. so inspiring, your story oh, of, so you know, triumphing over the odds and of survival and then how you just were led to the ultimate sense of freedom that that love with god 
And that's available for everyone. (laughs) So do you want to help me get together an invitation for the listeners? I was thinking most of our audience audience is really interested in um, looking deeper into their lives. Mm -hmm. And I would say majority of people are in mindful consciousness practices. Mm -hmm. What what invitation would you have for our listeners um, to encourage them to open up to the abundance of blessings and love and guidance that can come from Christ energy? Hmm. Well, I, I would say, you know, I think ultimately what all of us want is to love and be loved. And, you know, my experience of once I, once I got how much I was loved and I wasn't talking about being loved by my husband or being loved by my children, although that can often be the manifestation of God's love expressing through people. I would say once I really got how much God loved me, how I lived my life was so different. And that's really my wish for everyone. And so notice what you resist You know, in this conversation, even something I may have said, something Amber said, something Jenna said, like notice where you resist and lean in Mm -hmm. and then pray for or ask for the guidance to actually see what you can't see or hear what you can't hear. Um, Because I think that that is the pathway to freedom that, you know, there's an unceasing flow of love in, around, and through us all the time. And you and I barely experience it because we have this kind of like a sieve of resistance. So we've got these teeny, teeny, teeny little holes through which the love can flow. And once we begin to identify what's the restriction, what's the resistance, then you can actually do something about it. Let love in. Yeah, exactly. Let it in. Just let it, let in. it in. Open up, let it in. The ultimate mm. healing. So mm. much it does. Oh, it Great. Does heal. Thank I'm, you I'm, I'm taking that on. I'm taking that challenge yes. on right now it. today. <laughs> Got to go pray. Well, I love, love you. you. Thank you so much for joining You're us so today, welcome. everyone else who's listening as well. Thank you too. And... Um, If you want to follow Tutu, Tutu, why don't you um, throw out your Instagram and the Be Love Farm website? Yeah. So Be Love Farm is belovefarm.com. And we'd love to host you. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing retreat. Representing regenerative agriculture. You've got all cute animals running around and they grow everything there, all organic. Best wine, cheese, vegetables, everything in the Olive world. Oil. Olive and oil. And that's a whole story in itself, which another one worthy of hearing. And then um, my Instagram is my name, Tercy, T-E-R-C-E-S, which I didn't share with you, but like I said, I'm not a person who would change my name, but Tercy spells secret backwards. And it was a, a God-given name. I was told to change my name. There's a, something I didn't want to do. Change my name to <laughs> Tercy. Uh, when I began to tell the truth. Yeah, so you pronounce it Tercy. And again, how do I know how to pronounce it? Because that's what I heard. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's about not keeping secrets, you know, which leads to me being... And every day somebody asks me about my name and I've been Tercy for 32 years. So um, 
And then that's my Instagram. I also have a Bee Love Farm Instagram. And yeah, Facebook is my name too, Teresa Yankelhart. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for being with us today. If you like today's episode, go and give us a five-star review and share this episode. And we are so grateful to have you with us on the quest for love and light and looking a little bit deeper into this experience of life on earth. Love you and we'll have you with us next time. Bye-bye. Visit our website, themotherlovingfuture.com for more information. And please leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you like what you hear. We read every single review and comment and we are so grateful for your support. See you next week.